In this episode, we're going to answer the pondering question that keeps coming up. What does China want with Taiwan? Why does that even matter? Why do we care? What's the intel perspective on it? Well, as I always say, it always comes down to trade and treaties. A lot of that based on world history. So what is China's interest in Taiwan and why should we care or should we not care? And where is that going to head? That's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. Well, to start, this goes back about a century. It was just about 100 years ago, maybe a couple years more than that, when Russia discovered the magical form of communism. Somewhere during that time frame, because of their close relationship with China, China also adopted communism from what they called their current republic, which led to a Chinese civil war. In that civil war, those that wanted to be communists won, and those that were of the republic with their leader, Chiang Kai-shek, lost, in which they evacuated the mainland and went to an island that was part of China that we now call Taiwan. It had a different name back then. Which led to years of contentious discussions about who was or wasn't China and what was going on. From the beginning till today, one of the things people don't realize is Taiwan would like to have a reunited China as much as China would with Taiwan. They just have different points of view on it. Same idea as North and South Korea. They both want both Koreas to come together to be one nation. They just don't agree on how it should happen. Now, sometime later in the late 40s, just before 1950, China started expressing its desire to reunite with Taiwan, probably by force, at which point the United States came out and said our policy was, knock yourself out and go ahead, we don't care. And they probably should have done it at that point if they wanted it. Because a few months later, we get into the Korean War, And during the Korean War, one thing we know is that Chinese got behind what we now know as North Korea and backed them in the war. And when we saw that, the American policy was, we were staying out of Taiwan, but you won't stay out of Korea? No problem. Stay out of Taiwan or you're going to have to deal with us, which is where that policy comes from and has been there for about the last 70 years. Now, over that time, we have sold and provided billions of dollars of military equipment, weaponry, and even training to the nation of Taiwan. To understand the significance of Taiwan to China, we only need to look to Cuba. We understand during the 50s and 60s when the Russians were heavily involved with the Cuban government, even putting ballistic missiles, militaries and things in Cuba, leading to what we know as the Cuban Missile Crisis, the failed Bay of Pigs invasion, all the things that happened in that time frame. The reason we compare this is because the distance Cuba is from the United States is about the same distance Taiwan is from China. and Most people don't realize that. Additionally, If you look at the east coast of China, out into the oceans, you'll see that there's a thing called the Pacific Wall. The wall, as they see it, comes from South Korea, Japan, Taiwan to the Philippines, running north to south, kind of an arc. That's a barrier to them to be freely able to move into the Pacific. Now, they can still travel into the Pacific. They can still do that. But it creates enough of a physical barrier, causes an issue. It's the same idea as Russia always want in Ukraine to create that barrier from Eastern Europe and NATO, just like north of Ukraine, They've had close relationships ever since the fall of the Soviet Union and Belarus. The southern side of it they need to secure, which is why they always want to deal with Ukraine, which we'll, of course, get back to. Now, looking at this wall, right in the middle of it, controlling the biggest path and access points out of it is Taiwan. This is part of the reason why they want freedom of movement. And having people that are not allies, such as the United States, heavily involved financially and militarily with Taiwan, they see as a direct threat, which is understandable. When you compare it to Cuba, which most people don't ever think to do. 
So it's gone from a civil war into two separate nations, Taiwan eventually becoming a nation and being recognized, not recognized by China, and China wanting them back. Additionally, Taiwan has a lot of trade, including things like semiconductors as well as other exports that make them a lot of money, some of which get sent to China. China has a failing economy. They're hurting financially. They're having tough issues with real estate markets around the world. They've been expanding across the world through what looks like colonialism, that helping them keep afloat by creating systems of debt with countries that they're trying to build and do things in to not only get that financial income, but to increase their trade and influence in different regions, including now heading from Southeast Asia West, as well as well into Africa through the Indian Ocean. And they want to continue doing that, and they need to for trade reasons. Now, if they were to go in and take over a place like Taiwan, they wouldn't have to pay those bills anymore, not to mention they would control all those exports, many of which go to rich nations that are spending lots of money like the United States, but not only that one. So there's a financial benefit to them as well. Same kind of thing went on dealing with Ukraine. Now, one of the things we have to look at is the aftermath. What happens if they actually do it before we get to the middle part of it happening? When Russia went in and tried to take over Ukraine, one of the things that happened to them is their ruble, their money system, dropped by about 70% and still hasn't fully recovered. And it's been, I think, over a decade at this point, somewhere in there. And they've had a lot of issues, not to mention there was trade embargoes, tariffs added or risen in certain areas, as well as trade negotiations that either failed or were difficult to go through. And it had a huge financial impact. One of the things that, of course, helped them was their relationship with China and other nations, keeping trade open with Eastern Europe and Western Europe. But they had a lot of an impact. And China knows that will happen to them, too. The thing is, if they go in there and take it over, realizing this will happen will be a bigger financial impact on China than the impact we saw on Russia including things like trade, tariffs, and embargoes, many of which will impose on them, but so will other nations. So we have that to look at and consider. The biggest question I get asked, though, is could they actually do it? The question really should be about how and when they do it, not if they can. They absolutely can with massive amounts of force, but in today's day of technology, one of the things that happens militarily is you need to, one, be aware of when you move and how you move things because of technology and surveillance, even satellites that can easily see everything you're doing. So you need to take your time. The other thing is timing it with other activities in the region. For example, our biggest fleet is in the Pacific and we travel in those areas all the time with our Navy. So you'd want to time those activities based on where that Navy is that helps minimize the military response. Not to mention yet farther south to Australia, you see that right now, they're having contentions and issues have been going on for years and becoming more in the news with China and their spies and all the things they're doing. And their government's become more liberal to the point that some of their people don't like what they're doing, but their government's also looking at how friendly they still want to be with the United States, which if they cut those ties off as one of our closest nations and we agree to it, one of the issues will be if Taiwan is attacked or if they ever want to head south or look like they're coming close to Australia, if we don't see a benefit to our nation, we may not respond, whereas right now we probably would. So there's that to consider as well and something that China is very aware of. Now, one of the things to look at is when they move into the Spratly Islands, what are the first things they started doing? Getting their military there, their Navy there, building landing strips, adding more military-type installations, vehicles, and equipment in that area. That is part of a natural defense system of a perimeter for their country. Now, granted, those islands are contended over many countries, including places like Taiwan and Philippines, but they're not the only ones. But China's the only one with the means to go in and actually secure those which they have. That also does give them a stronger military position for any type of attack or invasion on a nation like Taiwan, which very well probably will happen at some point. 
The question then is, what does Taiwan do? Despite what they have militarily, especially compared to the size of the nation that we've given them as well as training, they have a standing chance to fight against them. The question is, how long will that fight go on and what will we do as well as other nations who will get involved and who can respond in time? More than likely, it would go down the way many other things happen where they go in and they take it over, say, by force, and we start going the routes of negotiation instead of militarily. That's one possibility. The other thing, though, to consider is the long-term events because of surveillance and how China has been doing things. More than likely, my guess would be with their locations in the Spratly Islands, their espionage and spies around the world, the things that they're doing in Taiwan that aren't necessarily publicly known, the strategy would be long-term to the point to where they can get to such a strong enough point where the short version and the simplest manner is to call them up on the phone and say, hey, Taiwan, this is China. Here's where we're at. You know what's going on. We have this. Here's what we're about to do. The best thing you could do would probably be just to give up and help ensure a peaceful transition, which would be ideal during a natural transition point of politics, especially if they can incite anything to happen in Taiwan to cause a major shift in politics or at least rise up enough of the local people to not like what their country is doing that may want to side with China, which is something they've been working towards for many decades. This is why, more than likely, their best route to success would be to go that way, more of the peaceful negotiation route with the intent of force instead of actually using force. That would be more widely acceptable and look like Taiwan's agreeing to it and would be less likely of a retaliatory response from other nations. That's part of the reason why it probably takes so long. Some people ask if Russia, would they get involved? Probably not unless there's a direct threat. My guess would be Russia would go somewhere up near the Arctic and the Northern Pacific, set up a bunch of ships out there saying they're doing military exercises, sending the message of this is your issue, just stay out of here and we're fine. Plus China doesn't need them and as close as they are as allies, like many other nations are allies, they're not as close as people think in a lot of ways and they have varying different interests. The other thing China has to consider is on their western flank is the India country they always have problems with and shooting matches, both of which are nuclear powers, although small, both with large militaries, both with capabilities of fighting. India being a close ally to us and many of the nations involved in this scenario could simply stand there and put more troops on the border, which would be a likely natural response, and then possibly consider whether or not they want to invade or start fighting with the Chinese military. Despite the numbers you may see on the internet of the Chinese military, there's a difference between calling people part of a military or a guard or reserve force and the amount of regular training they have and equipment that's available to them. Yes, there is a lot of people, and that is a significant factor, but what actually is there for them to be able to do would be a huge issue if you want to start putting navies out in the Pacific, possible landing force for an invasion, and then another large military comes up to your back door, and then you got to put people over there. And that could cause them to be in a position where they could lose, where they could have to split their military. It could cause issues politically. You never know what's going to happen internally because we saw the protests and things that happened there that could happen in other places. So as strong or as weak you may see China, significant actions like this can put them on the verge of falling apart. This supports one more reason why an actual military landing may not be necessary. And they may go the long-term route of manipulation, placing things in, timing it correctly, and going for the negotiation route of you need to allow this to happen just to see where it goes. Doesn't mean they won't do an attack, but they've had plenty of opportunities that could have done that in the last 50 years, and they've chosen not to do it. And each and every year they wait makes it more difficult for them to be successful in doing so. All this is a big part of the reason why I'm a person that's always said it'll probably happen at some point. Something will probably happen over there. 
still probably a few years out. And like many people, I've been saying four or five years for a lot longer than four or five years. And it's the long game for what they're doing. It's not going to be a short-term thing. One of the things to look at is the significant events. There's only two significant real events that have happened in many decades. One was moving into the Spratly Islands and placing and building military installations. And that was significant. And that definitely set the tone and said what they're looking to probably do, which is widely misunderstood by the general public. The second most significant thing they did was a couple of weeks ago flying all those planes over the country. But by itself, it's actually not significant. That's the point. They're not really upping the game. Sending those planes over was a safe bet because based on the timing, where our fleets were and what people were going to do, they were going to get away with it. Considering the defense systems and things in place in Taiwan and technology available to see what those planes actually have on them, another reason it's a safe bet. When Russia does flybys in the Black Sea of our Navy, that's a significant event between two major military powers with lots of technology that's saying a lot of things in international waters. This is in an area where one side sees it as their waters and the other side sees it as international waters violating their airspace, but nothing was done militarily. They knew they were going to get away with it. The reason to do it isn't to practice anything. They don't need that to practice the physical distance of flying. That can be done at any point, anywhere. Overseer land is done by all militaries all the time. The point of doing something like this is no different than doing a military exercise near Ukraine or a military exercise in Eastern Europe or a military exercise somewhere in Africa. The idea is to see how do other people respond? Do we see any shifts in major military powers? What's being said publicly? Who's making phone calls to us that we don't talk about? What's being done in these or that negotiation or discussion? Not to mention to see what will the United States do because we have upcoming negotiations with them regarding trade deals in a few months. That's part of why these things happen. So it actually isn't that significant. It just looks that way because it's planes. It's no different than the training they're doing. The training they're doing happens all the time. There's a difference between something making it to the news and we think it's a big deal and actually knowing that these type of activities happen on a regular basis. This is why one of the things I've said previously is it's important to pay attention to what nation states say about things, but it's not that informative. What you need to pay attention to is what they actually do. People talk all the time. Look at our own country in the United States and what our presidents say that people like and don't like. But how much of that actually falls through with action? Not a lot of it. Part of that's because of other factors they don't know about. Maybe they're outright fibbing, which happens a lot. Sometimes it has to do with money. Sometimes other events come up to take higher priority. Sometimes it's just to understand these are the plans and things we're looking at to get votes or the plans and things we're looking at that we really want to do, hoping to get votes to make it happen. And then eventually somebody leaves their position, somebody else comes in and things change. That happens in other nations too, and we often forget that. The biggest thing to note about China is it's not like Taiwan's their only focus. They're heavily involved all the way through the Indian Ocean, heavily in Africa, heavily in the Middle East, moving into Pakistan, hoping to get through Afghanistan, building their Silk Road initiative. They have many pieces going on around the world, which is something that wasn't really the case 50 years ago. They have a lot of things happening that they have to pay attention to. And every decision they make, just like every other modern country, is based on, if I do this here, how's it going to affect me over here? How's it going to affect me with this nation? So every time they want to make a decision with Taiwan, they're not just thinking about the United States. They're thinking about how Russia's going to deal with it. They're thinking about how Japan, how the Philippines, how Australia, how is South Korea, how are they going to react? How are people in Europe going to react when it comes to trade? How's Iran going to react? How's India going to react? How's Pakistan going to react? Are we still going to have that deal with that road going through Pakistan and Afghanistan if we go over here and mess around with Taiwan? Because second, third order effects of, again, 
world trade and how these things float and where they go and who it affects and what happens with this tariff and this embargo is exactly how these situations come about. It goes many layers deeper than simply just looking at two countries we think are the only ones involved and what their opinions are. Because if it was that simple, again, this would have happened a long time ago. But it hasn't happened a long time ago, and that's because there's so many other factors, even things like the Trans-Pacific Partnership, what's going on with Australia, so many factors that we have to look at, where the military's at, what are they doing in the world, who's going to really support me, who am I talking to behind the scenes. There's dozens, if not hundreds, of things to consider for any major change you want to make that has to do with invading, taking over a nation, going to war, protecting an area, even firing a bullet. There's a lot of factors that are looked at. The point is to say, if you look historically, the stuff that's going on, other than the Spratly Islands, there's really nothing new that's significant. There's nothing new that's really indicated anything. And most of it's just things that have happened repeatedly with no significance that have made the news again that may not have made it before. Maybe you weren't aware of it. Not saying it's not important, not saying it can't contribute, but even altogether, there's nothing new there. It's the so what factor. Okay, this happened. So what? They said that. So what? Well, they said that, you know, and it's a big deal because they're making threats. Okay, have they done that before, like many times? Well, yeah. Okay, so then that's not important. Well, let's put all these pieces together. We have A, B, C, and D. Okay, have A, B, C, and D gone together before? Well, yeah, many times. Okay, then why is it important now? What makes it different now? Well, the timing. Okay, the timing with what? Well, this has happened. That happens all the time. This is part of how Intel works. They don't just have knee-jerk reactions to information and fail to do historical research in order to understand whether or not something's significant, they look at it for what it really is. Not to mention all the other things, of course, they have access to that nobody can see. And it's to realize what's the highest degree of likelihood they will do something we like or don't like, and how will that play out based on the activities they're having now. So when people are saying the same things all the time for decades and doing the same things for all the time for decades, and the only one significant event hasn't gone much farther, but we're watching it, that's why we pay attention to all these new things and say, do they really matter? And right now, no. Does that mean they won't kick off a war tomorrow? Of course not. They could pull the trigger at any time, but they're not crazy. That's one thing people forget. That nation is not crazy like when we look at, say, North Korea and call them crazy. They are very pragmatic in the decisions they make. They're very methodical in the decisions they make. They think about politics, the economy, trade, and how things affect other nations. That's why they haven't just pulled the trigger and done something. This was North Korea dealing with something off their coast in an island. They probably would have done something about it already, more than likely. China's a whole other animal, and we often forget that just because somebody has religion we don't like or politics we don't like or a few guys or a few extremists or something and whether a nation does things we don't like or don't agree with, we often trump that up to say that's how the whole nation is, that's how the whole system works, and that is just not the case. This is why it's also important to note I talk about places like South America or especially Africa because of increasing activities and tensions and things that don't normally happen, increasing amounts of violence, increasing amounts of freedom of getting away with things or affecting nations that actually through third parties or second and third order effects or even indirectly do affect us and our interests and starting to come closer to directly affecting our interests. There's a reason why we don't go to places like Rwanda, but we go to places like Somalia that have nothing to do with what party is in power or what person is there. It has to do with national interest and heavily revolves around like trade and money. The whole idea that we try to free people is just not the case. Wars are only fought for two reasons, land or people. And most of the time when we say they're for people, they're for land, which has been most of recent history, at least for our country. 
And if we say they're for land, they probably are for people. So just remember, look farther into things when you see them on the news. Challenge your own biases and thought processes and your quick reactions just to think that something because it made the news and you didn't think to look at it before, if it's happened before, to see whether or not it's actually a challenge or if it's something new or if it even really matters. Look into the history of it. Why do these things happen? This is why it's important to note the very simple history of why Taiwan used to be part of China, why they both actually want to be together now but disagree, why we did support the idea of reunification and then said not because of actions that China took during the Korean War. These are things that all lead to them, and it all comes down to things like money and trade, and that's just how the world works, unfortunately. I mean, fortunately for Intel, it's great because we figured it out pretty quick, but unfortunately... That's kind of how the ball bounces. It has very little to do with things like democracy and freedom that we preach all the time. Those are sales pitches and marketing ploys to get nations and people behind activities and actions. Very unlikely that that's ever actually the case. Now, granted, I don't see classified information. I never worked at China Desk or did anything like that, but I do have more knowledge and intel and historical information on what goes on than most people. I'll just say the way I see it right now, the information I have access to, I don't see anything really happening there for a while. Definitely, of course, it could. I just don't see it. I don't really worry about it. And their focus, as in China, is more heavily on developing those land trade routes now that they've developed their sea trade routes and connections, working the land trade routes, building up alliances, trying to get allies, or at least trying to get stronger financial commitments, connections, or debt systems with other nations to where they can use them in the future to either increase their financial income and grow their economy or manipulate those guys into assisting and helping them whenever they can if they need it, assuming something happens like trying to go after Taiwan. That's kind of the route they go. Reason why is as much as that's not needed anymore, that's kind of the kind of the Western modern world mentality, even Russian mentality of how things work about a hundred years ago. Most of the things China's do and how they act and how they behave and the decision they make are based on things that most modern countries did a century ago. They're about a century behind in the way that they do things, and we often forget that and try to compare them to modern nations, which is a mistake. If you like this episode, don't forget us a like, share, heart, whatever your platform is using, and make sure you let people know you think will enjoy this material. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're at, and don't forget to check out the show notes and check out dmrpublication.com. And we will be back again shortly with more information right here on Grayman, Hiding in Plain Sight.